The download is complete. Welcome to the AV Forums Podcast, presented by Phil Hinton. Welcome to the AV Forum's Home Cinema Podcast for August. Coming up, we discuss the latest AV Forum's HD Owners Poll, we delve into the latest AV news, and in our roundtable, we give you hints and tips for choosing your next HD display device and the differences between the technologies. This week's, this week's Audio Visual News. news. And we move on to the AV News, and as always, we have Mark Cheffins from Onkyo UK. Hello, Mark. Hey, how are you doing? And Neil Davidson from TNW Marketing. Hi, Neil. Hi there, Phil. So we're going to kick off uh, with the news this week with an interesting poll. Uh, we placed this at the end of the last podcast on the AV forums, and we've had 1,000 votes so far. The question we asked was, which HD format have you gone for? i.e. which HD formats have you gone out and bought and added to your home cinema system? Some interesting results, to say the least. First of all, we'll go to Neil for the uh, disc format. And uh, interesting results there, Neil. Yeah, it is interesting, Phil. I personally expected to see one or other of the formats would have moved ahead a little bit more. But as we saw from the results, they're almost neck and neck in terms of ownership between the two formats. Um, I think that's the thing that surprised me most about this poll so far. So for those that haven't seen the poll, HD DVD has 9.3% of the vote and Blu-ray has 9.5% of the vote. So there's only two votes in it. And people owning both formats, again, very interesting, 5.2% own both Blu-ray and HD DVD. So uh, it seems that a lot of people are actually going for both formats, um, Mark. Yeah, which is great. Obviously, because the more people who actually subscribe to the new HD formats is actually going to push it forward. But again, I'm actually quite surprised that because of all the hype and obviously the PS3, that the BD player um, ownership isn't higher, much considerably higher than HD. But overall, it's pretty much neck and neck. And that's good because it'll actually push the studios into maybe offering all parties, everything, rather than this silly, we're going to do our own thing and not the other. I mean, to be honest, I think Warner Brothers has got the best idea. They've just covered their their backsides both ways and they're releasing simultaneously on both formats. So they're getting the most bucks in their pocket. So obviously the, the other formats which are available, we've got Sky HD in there as well and put an option for other HD source as well. Looking at Sky HD, there's uh, 2.5% of forum members own Sky HD and have no plans to buy disc formats. However, the most interesting results there are Sky HD and D- HD DVD player, 5.8%. Sky HD and a Blu-ray player, 7.7%. But the most surprising one, and one which we'll go to Neil um, for comment on, Sky HD and both disc formats, 6.3%. So there's 63 forum members have uh, every HD format available. That's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think what that tells us is that people who have uh, experienced HD, whether that's in Blu-ray or on Sky HD, have decided that it is actually a better experience than standard definition. 
and they've gone out and they've invested in in all formats basically. Um, and for me, that's probably the most interesting statistic of all of these. What what that tells us is that these people uh, are really seeing a, a benefit despite all the cost associated with going to HD at the minute. Um, they have felt that that is worth it and has given them a better experience. Um, and when we see that that number is almost as high as the people who only have one format, um, it's quite a surprising result to me uh, and surprisingly high rather than surprisingly low. And I guess the, the other interesting offshoot of that is that people who have Sky HD um, will also be buying a disc format in the future. And we got 87 votes there. That's 8.7% um, of the total vote. Um, so obviously the Sky HD performance is good enough for people to consider moving on to the disc formats, Mark. Yeah, which, I mean, it's a great stepping stone from normal def to Sky HD because obviously the movie channels and they are presented quite well. I mean, you get the odd dropout in audio and the odd blocking for whatever reason and you can't get around that because it's a, a broadcasted signal. But it's great that so many people are actually adopting all of the formats so they can actually enjoy the HD content, irrelevant of how is transported, they're actually going for it. Uh, I watched a movie the other day, sat down in SD, and it really wasn't the same experience. And I've got the, the same movie on HD DVD. Dropped it in, and it, it's a completely different experience. And you get used to it so quickly, so easily. When you go backwards, it's like, ah, oh, okay, I'm missing massive amounts of, of everything. You know, it's great to see these numbers that are going up and more and more people are deciding, yes, I'm going to do this, and they're taking the plunge because it's only going to push the industry forward to providing better quality components and being able to supply the hardware for people to enjoy the software. Yeah, moving on from there, Mark, and I guess there's still quite a few people to be uh, convinced to actually go and buy HD content, and for me, this was the most surprising figure. 7.3% have got an HD-ready TV but are yet convinced to buy any HD content, Neil? And is this because there's so much confusion at the moment? Well, I think that that's actually an interesting one. This is actually the the option that I picked for myself, believe it or not. Um, I have an HD-ready TV, but the reason I have an HD-ready TV is I wanted a a flat screen. It just so happened it was easier to buy an HD-ready TV uh, at that time. Um, I have been looking on at all of the HD formats, but I've simply been waiting for just a little bit more content to become available before I take the plunge. Now, from my perspective, um, it's getting very close now to the point where I see a real benefit um, in going for one of these formats, uh, whether it's HD DVD or Blu-ray or Sky HD. I've had quite some experience just lately with the PlayStation 3, which has impressed me greatly. Um, with the with the real, it is a real difference in picture quality. Um, in my particular setup, I sit a bit too far away to notice the increased resolution. But what you do notice is that the picture itself is much cleaner. It just looks a bit more detailed and three dimensional. It's not a, a, an overwhelming difference in my particular situation, but now it really is appreciable. So. Um, For for me, I will be looking to upgrade very, very soon, and I think you'll find a lot of people uh, who have selected that option will be in a similar position to me. They're just on the borderline 
of taking the plunge with HD content. I, I think you'll find also that one of the things that tips people over the edge is uh, the price of HD DVD players. Again, falling just a little bit. We've seen a new range just announced over in the States. Um, and if that pricing is reflected over in this country, I think that that's going to be the next big push to, to get people to upgrade who've just been hovering on the edge like me. I actually use HD DVD primarily to begin with because I've got an Xbox 360. I, I started off with just adding the drive because at the time it was the cheapest option. And the difference was so good between standard def up to HD, I then went out and bought a standalone player. The difference is fantastic. I mean, I actually sit quite close and the level of detail um, when using front projection, I have, I noticed a massive difference going from SD to HD. I mean, whoever will win, I, I don't know. But to be honest, does it really matter? I mean, HD is, is here if the studios can sort of decide to just release everything on both formats. Um, Phil, just to pick up on a point that Mark just made there, um, one of the things that you will really notice with HD is as you get closer to the screen or the screen size gets bigger, the, the improvement that you notice in the picture becomes really quite considerable. Now, one of the interesting things that we've seen um, as part of the, the AV Forums reviews is that front projection systems so something like the Epson TW1000 or the, the Panasonic PTA1000 are becoming quite affordable now for people. Um, and people are really starting to embrace a real home cinema with a large screen front projection system uh, in their living room. And, and those kind of systems, the difference between HD and SD is absolutely night and day. So anyone who's got a system like that, I think really owes it to themselves to have a look at an HD player of some kind as well. So it's been a, a very interesting poll, a thousand votes cast, um, and it gives, I think, a, a genuine look, uh, not what's better, but what people actually have in their homes. And um, there's, a, there's a lot to be taken from this poll, Neil, and um, we'll leave it running for the time being, and hopefully we'll, we'll see the numbers increase vote-wise uh, so we get a, a, an even better feeling for where people are going but so far some very surprising results isn't it? Yeah it's a very interesting poll um, I hope that we're able to leave it up for people to vote on for a little bit of time yet um, it's good to catch the sort of trends as well um, that we're seeing the poll is, is quite open so everyone who has an opinion will find an option that they can select um, so I would encourage everyone to, to come and, and vote in this poll uh, because it's a very very interesting insight into how people are actually looking to spend their money uh, in the future and, and how they're looking to enjoy their content as well. So if you haven't voted on our poll yet, head over to the front page at avforums.com and uh, give us your views on what you have at home or what you intend on buying. And uh, we'll keep up to date with that poll, but now it's time for the AV News. Join the discussion at Europe's largest home cinema website. Log in to avforums.com. You're listening, you're listening, you're listening to the AV Forums podcast. So, as promised, it's now time for the AV News, and our first story comes from THX, who have announced a Loudness Plus Tech uh, to add on to their certification. It will be available THX Ultra 2 Plus and THX Select 2 Plus. The quality control company 
says that the technology maintains the integrity of the audio content when listening at lower volumes. Well, seeing as we have our own THX tech on the podcast this week, we'll pass this over to Mark to discuss. So, Mark, um, listening at reference level, that's how a movie's mixed. Some of us who live in detached houses can listen at reference level when we're reviewing equipment and so on, but your end user at home won't necessarily listen anywhere near reference level. They may have set their system up to, to 75 dB across all the channels, but they won't listen at that volume for most films. So what's THX doing about it? Well, basically, I mean, reference level is phenomenally loud. I mean, I'll be honest, not even I can... I've got very understanding deaf neighbours, and they sometimes <laughs> mention to me, oh, I heard your film last night. So... I have to keep it turned down um, most of the time. I mean, I've only got the press releases through. So going from what I've read, um, the situation, I mean, a lot of people are going to know this. They've got the movie turned down. It gets to a quiet scene, and they turn the movie up so they can actually hear what's being said or what's actually going on, and then followed by a massive explosion or tree falling over or something very, very loud happening. And obviously because of the the transience of dynamics of DVD or HD or Blu-ray, it promptly blows them out of their seat and the next-door neighbours out of their beds or seats. So the technology, from the way I'm reading this, what it will actually do, it will actually adjust the parameters inside the amplifier. So when you're playing at low volumes, it will actually increase the appropriate frequencies. So the net sort of end result perceived is those channels will be slightly louder, which will give you better intelligibility throughout the whole soundstage. And then as you crank the volume up, there's no ne- there's no necessity for that. So this active system will then decrease what it's actually been done as the volume is increased. So it's sort of an active system that allows you to keep the integrity of what you're hearing as you adjust the volume. Oh, it sounds like a very, very good real-world piece of technology. I mean, the proof of being the pudding when it's actually all set up and people sit down and test it. But dynamic ambience preservation is quite a good group of words that they've used, which sounds quite posh. But I think for a lot of real-world users, it can be very, very handy. Obviously, the most important thing is making sure it doesn't play with the artist's intentions and because of the pedigree of where THX come from I don't think there will be any destruction of the original feature. So this could be quite a good new technology as long as it's done right but then for the people who have their own dedicated soundproof theatre then it's not going to make a blind bit of difference because they'll be listening to it at reference level or near reference level anyway and they won't have the need for it. Where this will actually pop up is in the in the front room installations, where people do need that flexibility of turning it down and being able to hear what's going on with the soundtrack. I mean, it, I'm a little bit surprised that it's coming out on a flagship unit, which will obviously be quite highly priced. I would have thought it would have come, come in at maybe a mid- or lower-level product, where it's going to be aimed at the masses because it's where sort of the masses they're going to be having it in their front room maybe a 800 to a thousand pound av amplifier that's where i used to tend to put av amps into front rooms the bigger babies 
used to go into dedicated rooms where people can wind it up. So, you know, on the whole, I think it's going to be a good thing for the general Joe public, and I don't mean that in any sort of demeaning sort of way. I mean, it's the guy who goes out, works his hours during a week, wants to come back and enjoy a movie, but he's got a wife and two kids, and he's got to reside in the front room. So I think that's where it's going to really, really play a big part. But as I said, not so much in the home theatre side of things on, on the, in the de- dedicated rooms. Neil, THX Plus, a bit more marketing spiel, isn't it? Or do you think this is useful technology? No, no, I actually think that it, it could be very, very interesting indeed. Um, I think Mark's hit the nail on the head perfectly. The market for this is surely 800 to £1,000 uh, AV receivers where people simply have it in their front room much as it would be fantastic for me if everybody had a dedicated home theatre that's still not the case and so people do need to to listen at a reduced volume a lot of the time now a lot of people probably won't be aware of what a system actually sounds like when it's playing properly in a well-designed room at reference level but the experience is quite quite different to say knocking down to maybe minus 20 minus 30 db on the AV receiver, which, let's face it, is where most people, through necessity, actually do their listening. Now, uh, the ear is quite an interesting piece of the the human body, and there have been all kinds of studies done for hundreds of years now on how we actually hear, um, and how we actually hear is is quite different depending on the sound level and the frequency, etc., that's being played in the background. So I think that there's quite a good promise that this technology could work. And if it does work, I think it's a really good and interesting thing for people to have. Okay, so uh, that's new THX tech. It is coming out originally on the Yamaha flagship, which is due to go on sale later this year. And uh, hopefully we'll see that uh, filter down into the marketplace, into the uh, £800 to £1,000 market, like the guys have said. So we'll move on. We're just going to touch on LCD and plasma sales. LCD TV panel shipments were up 32% over the last quarter of last year and uh, 65% year-on-year according to new data from DisplaySearch, which says that the LCD market is now worth $7.2 billion annually. And uh, on an offshoot of that, it also says that plasma models are now seen as high-end. What do you guys think of this? Plasma high-end, LCD seems to be taking uh, quite a quite a bit of money in the market at the moment. For me, though, Phil, I think that that's exactly how the market has developed. Um, a plasma display is almost inevitably going to be more expensive now, and as the mass market moves more towards LCD, the plasma manufacturers have really no choice but to move their products into the high end if they're going to survive. It's incredibly difficult to make any money off a flat-screen display, um, I guess regular AV forums readers won't realise this, but I can assure them there isn't any retailer who's making uh, a fat profit off a flat screen display uh, at the minute. Um, there's almost no money involved uh, in terms of profit in the flat screen displays. Um, so really it's incredibly difficult for companies even to cover their manufacturing costs unless they can either have uh, higher prices or higher volumes Now, it's clear that for plasma TV, higher volumes are just not going to be possible simply because LCDs are much cheaper and they have gained a lot more acceptance, I think, uh, in the the mass market. It's a lot easier to go out and buy 
an LCD these days. Um, I mean, even what, 50 inch LCD for less than £1,000 these days? And that's simply not possible to achieve with plasma technology. That a plasma TV gives a noticeably better image than an LCD. Um, so I, I think it's a natural fit that plasma will move high end, whereas LCD uh, will take over the mass market almost completely. So yeah, talking about plasma moving high end, it's certainly something which Pioneer have done recently uh, with their uh, project Curo. And a little bit of news there that they're actually going to adopt the name Curo for all their, their latest plasma screens and drop the current handle, which is Pure Vision. This seems to be the way that most plasma manufacturers are going to go in the future, uh, Mark. So do you see plasma as a, as a higher brand product or are they just pulling the wool over our eyes? I think, to be honest, I mean, it's been pushed in that direction because of a lot of, how can I put it politely, Asian unheard of brands have swamped the market, um, whether it be the same internal guts with five different names coming out of five different parts of Asia. It's actually pushed plasma up into the so-called higher end. Um, uh, The quality of the products are certainly improved. Give me a choice between plasma and LCD, I'll have plasma any day without a shadow of a doubt. The only time I would actually use LCDs would from doing now on my PC monitor. But I certainly wouldn't use it for... for that's for me personally. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people actually do use LCD and they like it, which is absolutely great. But for me and the way I watch movies and the whole overall result that I want, it's not there yet. I'm not saying it's not going to get there, but when it does, I think you'll find that the, the costing price point will be the same as plasma because then they'll be both on an equal footing um, but I think LCD is very much more a mass market product as Neil said and you know I mean Pioneer have I think made the right choice I mean Kuro is quite a cool name so the, their quality of their products will just increase and increase the same as Fujitsu's and the same as Panasonic I mean they're all of the, the big co- uh, companies who are made massive investment into plasma will actually keep improving and improving their products, whether it be a measuring scale of the contrast ratio or how many colours it can produce. It's just down to whether it can actually present video properly. And if it can do that, then it's got my vote. So again, time will tell, but I think plasma is being pushed into the high-end market whether it likes it or not but there's you can you can still get some reasonable plasma sets uh, i don't think too much money but there's also been so many misconceptions about plasma being banded around whether it was deliberate or not the amount of times i used to hear from people saying oh i've been told that you have to regas them um <laughs> and it's like pardon where on earth did you hear this oh, i bet it was and, caddies yeah and oh They've only got a short lifespan, and it's what? Well, no, they haven't. And all you can get screen burn. Well, yes, if you leave the same image on there for a long period of time, and that's one benefit LCD doesn't. Uh, one benefit LCD has over plasma. But then they've both got pros and cons. But there was so much misinformation uh, put about about plasma. I think it got a bit of a bad rap to may possibly maybe artificially push LCD into the frame. No one will ever know, but just through the comments that I used to get when I was in retail, it it was bizarre. I mean, these people were, were only mentioning it because that's what they were told. 
maybe by their mate or their mate heard it from somewhere else. So I think it had a bit of a bad rap, which it had to force itself into another arena. I think that was the start of it. But we'll have to wait and see. Well, I guess the offshoot of Plasma going high-end, and certainly um, it seems to be Pioneer's strategy at the moment, is to offer equipment which does what it says on the tin and offers excellent scaling and so on, which is a big issue when you move on to the bigger screen sizes, Neil, is that um, the actual deinterlace and the scaling within inside the sets, um, how it how it goes about producing that final image is a big selling point. And, and if you have the better components on board and if you can sell your model as a high-end product, you can obviously offer all these... Uh, uh, new components, new, new ways of doing things, and, and you're actually buying a, a higher-tech product. Would would that be fair? I think that that's an extremely fair statement. I have quite a lot of experience now with basically all the different displays and projectors and all this kind of stuff that are out there. Um, with what I do, I'm lucky enough to, to see uh, a very good cross-section of the marketplace. Now, it's very clear that Typically, you get what you pay for. And for a lot of people, it's difficult to understand uh, what it is that you're paying for. Um, it's not so easy to uh, to actually uh, check and understand how of these more advanced features actually translate into a better picture quality. Um, one of the things, for example, that, that you have been doing, Phil, on the reviews of the projectors on Navy forums is you've been measuring their accuracy against a particular colour gamut, uh, their grayscale accuracy. Um, those are just two factors uh, in the physical design of the projector or the display that really have a big impact on the picture that you see. And typically, the better the display uh, we're seeing, the closer uh, you can get these things to the standards where they should be. Now, the next thing that is also extremely difficult for people to to uh, understand and and kind of measure uh, so that they can compare between two displays is really the video processing. Um, for people who are not used to looking at displays, it's incredibly difficult to decide uh, what good scaling is or what good the interlacing is or if that noise reduction option is making the picture better or worse. Um, and I think that that is uh, really a, a crucial thing that you see the better the display, typically the more expensive it is, but that's because more engineering effort and more time uh, has been spent on getting the video processing absolutely spot on. And we are seeing good video processing in a lot of displays now. Now, just before we leave uh, this subject, there was a thread on the forums regarding Pioneer's new stance and uh, pricing and it seems to have raised quite a few comments from forum members lots of them saying well why should i pay two and a half thousand pounds over say fifteen hundred pounds for another plasma screen from another manufacturer is it all about the technology that's in the set snail for me it's very simple if you want to get the best picture quality uh, you need to have a set that has accurate colors good grayscale, good video processing good black level the Pioneers, for sure, and the Fujitsus, you can literally measure and show how accurate these displays are once they've been set up and calibrated properly, and you can see how much better they are than sets that are cheaper. So the simple answer is, if a customer wants to see the picture that is the best possible picture 
they have to pay for it. It's really as simple as that. People have kind of got used to, I think, on previous Pioneer models, uh, in particular paying, I guess, what you would call more of a mass market price as Pioneer tried to compete on volume with the LCD manufacturers. But Pioneer, would, they would have gone bust, quite simply. They would have been out of business if they had continued with that business model. It costs a lot of money to develop these displays and to manufacture them to give the sort of picture that you can get. Um, and quite simply, the only way to get that cost back is to charge what Pioneer charged for the displays. It's not a case of profiteering or anything like that. As I said earlier, it's extremely difficult for companies to survive in the flat screen market these days. Okay, so our comments there seem to be you pay your money, uh, you make your choice. And uh, generally speaking, the better models will cost more. We'll uh, come back with more AV news in a second. For real AV talk, this is the AV podcast. And to wrap up the AV news uh, for this month, we're going to move quickly on to HD products and an announcement from Toshiba in the US of new HD DVD players due in October, all of them under $500. Some of the cynical listeners out there may think that They're obviously subsidising this technology to get it down low, but it's what the consumer wants, Neil, isn't it? Cheap uh, HD. I mean, uh, 9 out of 10 people want as good as possible for the lowest price possible. Um, It's it's simply natural that if you can get something better that costs less money, you're going to go for it. And uh, Mark, you got any um, comments on on the price drop with HD DVD? Um, Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, I, I... As Neil said, obviously, when people want a better quality, and they will pay the lowest price. So, you know, it's great that Toshiba actually are doing this, and a lot of people will buy it off the back of it. But it, I think it also goes hand-in-hand hand very quickly about, obviously, you will get better quality products the more you pay. But there is a base level, and if you put a, a three or $400 DVD player up against a three or 400 HD DVD player, it's going to knock the spots off it in, in every way, shape or form. So I can actually see a lot of people buying HD DVD players purely as a DVD player. I know that a, a lot of dealers that I actually go to see, they actually sell the Toshiba machines as DVD players primarily because of the video processing inside them is so good. And off the bat of, back of that is, oh, by the way, yeah, you can actually watch HD content on this. So I think it's all good for the market, and Toshiba actually make the drives. So the more they make, the the lower the cost is, and it's just down to how much raw materials they can buy at what price will dictate the end price. So they are buying a lot, by the looks of it, a heck of a lot of raw materials to be able to do it out of that price. But it's great, absolutely fantastic. Okay, so Toshiba have announced that those players due in the US in October and we expect more UK-specific information at the upcoming uh, IFA show. And uh, sticking with HD, and obviously we've seen the Xbox 360 and the PS3 uh, both pushing HD gaming, and it looks like Nintendo could be next uh, to move with their Wii. Uh, there is rumours abound that the Wii is currently in development as an HD platform. What do you guys think, Mark? Okay, the Wii going HD. So I think it's actually, it's definitely a player's platform and everything else is secondary. I mean, I don't think they actually need to do that. And are they going to call it the Wii 2 or just the W-I-I-I-I? I I mean, it's, 
I don't quite know how they're going to name it. You know, I mean, they're, they're just following it. I think they're just following everybody else when their main bite in the market is actually enjoyable gameplay and everything else is secondary. Because, I mean, friends of, I know have got it, and it's a great laugh. And you completely forget about the, the quality of the people standing there or their heads with bodies with no arms and no legs. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see if it gets taken up or even if they do do it. But, you know... It's. I, I think it's it's a it's a playing platform rather than anything else, and you can't compare it to a PS3 or a 360 because those other two platforms are very much into high-res graphics and very very atmospheric playing, whether it be Call of Duty 27 or Gears of War or uh, MotoGP. So you know whether it takes off or not, I don't know. I, I think they should just stick to what they're doing because they're really, really good at it. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll move on to the last story today, and it's Sim 2's Domino 10 projector. Why is it making the news? Well, it has a price point of £1,600, which, when you think about Sim 2, is a budget market product. Um, Neil, any thoughts on this? We've had a look at the uh, the specs there. Do you expect much from this new projector from Sim 2? Um, it remains to be seen. It's an incredibly low price point for a DLP projector. Um, so we just need to see what the guys at Sim have been able to, to do. You have to make a few compromises to make a, a, a DLP projector at that price. Um, so let's hope the guys at Sim have been able to come up with the goods because if they have done, it's a very, very interesting proposition for people. And hopefully we'll have that in our reviews very soon. And talking of reviews, we will have a review roundup of the hardware we have coming through in next month's podcast. But next, it's time for our roundtable discussion. Made by enthusiasts. For enthusiasts. Wow, a free movie, thanks. This is the AV Podcast. This week's roundtable discussion. And now it's time for our roundtable discussion. And this week we thought we'd approach things a little bit differently. Okay, so you're going out to buy a new display, whether it be a projector, uh, a flat panel, or a rear projection set. What is it that you should look for? What do the different technologies out there give you in terms of performance? How they work? What tests can you do when you go to demo equipment in the shops? So, first of all, let's discuss the different technologies out there. And um, as he is the display guru on the podcast, uh, we'll go to Neil first. Uh, Neil... Do you just want to quickly explain what the different technologies are and basically the differences between them? Okay, it's uh, it, it's a small question, but unfortunately quite a long answer, so people will need to bear with me as I go through the different options. The first thing that you would probably look at are the flat panel displays. So flat panel breaks down into either LCD or uh, plasma displays. Now, they, they're slightly different technologies, but the end result is effectively the same. <laughs> A nice flat display uh, that you can hang on the wall. Um, everybody likes the, the, the flexibility of them and so on. Um, and that's going to be the most typical display that people are looking at in the shops. Um, typically below 42 inches, you're almost always looking at LCD. But above that now, there are quite a few options um, until you get to about 60 inches, in which case it's almost always plasma um, that you're looking at. But very large displays uh, in that case. The next technology that we would look at are rear projection technologies. Now, rear projection has always been extremely popular 
in the US, but it's never really uh, caught on over here. There are a few different technologies that you will see in rear projection, but in particular, the ones that people should look out for are DLP and the, the DILA technologies. The DLP uh, displays from uh, use parts from Texas Instruments. Now, they've been shown at CES and CDIUS for the last year or so now, um, and by all accounts, they produce a very satisfying image for people who don't need the absolute thinness of a flat panel. So for something like 30 centimeters of depth, you could get an image up to, say, 60 inches quite easily with a rear projection. The DLPs, unfortunately, we haven't really seen uh, across here in the UK for sale. Uh, on the other hand, the DILA technologies, um, JVC in particular is very keen to kickstart the market with their DILA rear projection TVs. They're quite an interesting display. It's similar technology to what's used in the JVC HD1 projector, which has been so popular over the last few months. Um, so people who can put up with that little bit less thinness in the display um, can get a, a larger picture um, from using a rear projection TV, and in particular looking at the DILA models just now. Next, what we would actually look at is a front projection system. So just to clarify, a rear projection system uh, will have the, the projector effectively behind the screen and projecting onto it uh, so that there's nothing uh, in front of the screen for people to, to avoid the light path or anything like that, whereas a front projection screen is a more typical setup with a, a projector at one end of the room firing onto a screen at the other end. Now, again, we've seen quite some developments in front projection just recently. In particular, 1080p LCD front projection uh, systems uh, like the Epson, like the Panasonic, have really brought 1080p down into a level where people can really consider e even a second system with front projection for use in the evenings. And um, that's something that we've seen a lot of. If we move slightly higher up in the price scale, you see DILA or LCOS technologies from the likes of Sony and JVC. So the Perl uses a thing called SXRD, um, which is very, very similar indeed to DILA technologies uh, found in the JVC HD1. Then if we move a bit higher up, the market is dominated by DLP and DLP once you get to the, the higher levels, is, is really a, a, a quite a stunning technology. The way that it works is, is quite extraordinary, to be honest with you, um, with the, the tiny mirrors that they have on a DLP chip, which move. The, so there's one mirror for each pixel. So people should consider uh, a 1080p 3-chip DLP, uh, the amazing complexity that goes into a system like that. Basically, that's your uh, choices for different display technologies, all of these different technologies have different environments uh, that they're better suited to. Um, so that's something that people should be aware of when they're looking to buy these technologies. For example, uh, if you're not unable to get a completely dark room, a front projection screen with, uh, sorry, a front projection system with a normal white screen is not a good option. Um, you would look to, need to look at some of the other ways of screen technology uh, that you can do to, to combat the level of light washing out colours. That's another benefit that LCD 
flat panels have, the amount of light that you can produce from an LCD flat panel makes some very good choices in extremely bright rooms. Um, so again, the environment will play a bit of a, a factor in the choice of these technologies that people want to look for. Okay, well, that's a, a general overview of what's available in the market. Thanks very much for that, Neil. Let's ask a question which gets asked probably about six or seven times a day on the forums in the various different forum areas, and that is plasma versus LCD, which is the best and why. And um, let, let's go to Mark. Mark, what's your, your experience with this topic? How many times do you get asked it, and um, what's your opinions on things? I mean, I used to get asked regularly if someone was going for a reasonably sized screen. No, it's only been recently that, without any shadow of a doubt, I'll always say plasma because the the image just looks better. The colours are better. The way the actual panel displays motion is better than LCD. Um, but I recently saw a Sharp that had been set up properly. Now, I don't know which range it was from, but I must admit, playing some HD content, it looked good. Because I was actually in a dealer's, I sat down and had five five minutes looking, and I thought, that really isn't bad at all. Even though, I was still, my personal choice is plasma, in any day of the week, for a display device. Above 50 inch, then I would go for projection. Again, without any shadow of a doubt, because people are trying to recreate this theatre mock-up in their their own home and that's the only way you can truly get a big picture and actually get the immenseness and impact but out of the two lcd versus plasma for sitting down watching a movie then plasma every single time for having a tv generally on in the corner that the kids watch then obviously you can go and buy a nice cheap lcd which they'd be more than happy with but for those people who actually want to sit down and watch a decent image presented correctly then a good quality plasma without any sort of hesitation okay well thanks for that mark i'll move back to neil neil it's a question that comes up all the time on the forums and um obviously with the mass market lcd is is certainly the main runner there um what tips would you give to people who are confused about the two technologies and what is it that they should be looking for when they go to demonstrate a, a plasma against an lcd and how big an effect does each technology have uh, in terms of your environment and how, how big an impact does your environment have on the technology? Okay, we, we should start first of all with the environment. If people, for example, are looking to put the display into a very, very bright environment, um, we see people putting displays into conservatories or people with you know big bay windows or French windows and all this kind of stuff, where the sun is going to come streaming in all day long. It's a very nice environment to sit in, but in terms of the picture quality, it's going to play havoc. Now, in these situations, what you need is a technology that can put out as much light as possible to overcome the light that's falling on it. And In a situation like that, LCD is really the obvious choice. Um, also, an LCD panel typically has a matte finish, which means the reflections can be less of an issue. So certainly that's one instance where environment plays a big factor in deciding which of the two technologies you want to go for. In a more typical living room environment, though, um, there'll be some light that comes in during the day, but, well, once we get into evening and so on, 
um, the, the choice of the two displays based on the amount of light uh, that they can output uh, isn't actually so important. Um, in this situation, what people want to look for is, first of all, black level is a very important factor. Um, and that's something that we've seen Pioneer with their new displays have achieved a very, very, very good black level. Um, basically, the black level describes the, the darkest part of the picture. Um, and people should always try and see uh, a plasma panel side by side with an LCD panel. Um, play something like Star Wars or something like that uh, on the tour of them and, and really notice how much darker a plasma panel is than an LCD. Um, that's still the case. Even for the very, very, very best LCDs, a plasma panel is still significantly darker. Um, the second thing that you want to look for is the, the colour fidelity, the colour accuracy. Now, again, this is something that can vary quite largely from set to set. Um, but what you typically find is that the, the better uh, plasma panels are a bit more accurate in their colours out of the box. Um, they also allow you a bit more flexibility in fine-tuning the colours to be as accurately as possible. That's not such a, an enormous factor for a lot of people, but it is an important thing to consider. Um, the third thing that you want to consider is the, the grayscale tracking of a display. If a display can't produce white effectively um, with any level of accuracy, it's going to mean that all of the colours that are shown on the display are, are, are inaccurate. Now, I actually had a gentleman email me uh, a couple of weeks ago who had bought a display. I won't say the name of it, but it wins numerous awards uh, in the mainstream press. And his problem with the display was that no matter what he tried, he couldn't get a convincing skin tone on the display. Now, that all came down to the way that display is designed um, to produce colour. And if you know what you're looking for, it's actually impossible to get a, a satisfactory colour on that particular display. So there are a couple of very simple test patterns that people can use. Um, people shouldn't be afraid when we say test patterns. A test pattern these days can be a nice movie clip or something like that. Um, that displays some colours and people can, can quickly tell if the colours are overblown or inaccurate, if the red's wrong, the green's wrong, etc. The, the, the third thing that people really also need to consider, and in many ways this is more important um, in these days of upscaling DVD players and upscaling receivers, how do you connect the system together um, and how do you uh, decide where the video processing should go on. I mean, for example, someone might be happy with a display that has relatively poor video processing uh, if they have a good receiver that has an upscaling chip in it. Again, to do that, you need to use some sort of test material where you can actually see what's going on on the screen and then translate that into a, a score, basically, that, that you can give to the display. Now, again, as I come back to a test pattern these days doesn't necessarily need to be some horrible uh, static thing with lines and images and squares all over the place. And people have seen that Sky have done quite a nice job of making a nice easy to use test pattern that you can use. Now there is actually another company um, that people in the UK probably are not so familiar with. Um, this is a company called uh, Silicon Optics. And Silicon Optics actually produce a range of DVDs 
they also have Blu-ray and HD DVD available that people can use in a shop to very quickly, within five minutes or so, do an assessment on a display um, and on its video processing. Um, it actually comes with a scoring chart as well, uh, and people can use that to, to guide them in their display choice. And I think that that's a, an incredibly powerful tool to people ha for, for people to have. Um, if they have that tool, uh, they don't just need to go on perhaps what the salesman's saying to them. And I know that people are sometimes not confident enough to trust their own eyes. But if they have a simple set of tests that they can follow, well, the one that gets the highest score to your eyes has probably been the best one, and that would be the display to go for. Now, a lot of people are going to be a little bit cautious going into um, a dealership or going into a high street retailer and actually asking, well, can I look at this and can I look at that? If they are told no, obviously our advice would be to go elsewhere because um, the whole point about choosing a, a, a TV or a display device is being able to see it in as accurate a way as possible, Neil. And how do people get around the problem that manufacturers try to make their screens the most visually stunning when you walk into the showroom. So how do people get around that? I, we've seen a couple of threads on the forums recently with people putting up uh, test settings that they found that work best with certain panels and so on. Should those uh, settings be be taken at face value or are they useful for people who go in into a dealership to look at a, a panel? I personally feel that it's very difficult um, to work with test settings that people post up. My suggestion would be, obviously in a retail environment, it's very difficult to, to go through and really tweak in settings. Whenever you do a calibration uh, of your own system, you must always take the full chain of components into account. Now, obviously, when you're in a, a dealer's shop, it's almost impossible to take that into account. You would need to sit down with a calibration DVD yourself, know what you were doing, and tweak it. In my experience... Uh, the settings can vary massively between displays uh, with different combinations of DVD players and everything. So people relying on these uh, settings that are posted as guideline settings for demo, really, they could be running into problems and making the display actually look worse than it is. There's also a chance that uh, everything falls into place and the display will look better. And perhaps a fairer test for people would certainly be to take them out of dynamic mode, which is what most of them ship in, and try and find the movie or cinema mode on a display. Now, these are typically what the manufacturer has tried to set up to, to convince a, a relatively natural-looking image to people um, close to the standards. Um, so that's always a very useful quick tip for people. Look for the movie or cinema setting on the display and take it from there. And I guess what we're saying to people is, don't be scared to ask for the remote control. Don't be scared to, to ask whoever it is that's, that's demonstrating the set to you. Um, to actually have a bit play about and, and have a look at, at it. After all, it's your money at the end of the day. You're going to be buying the thing. And we'll come back to the HQV silicon optics test discs as well. Just how useful is that, Neil, for actually demonstrating something in a shop environment? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's two things there just to pick up on quickly, Phil. Um, first of all, uh, people who are spending a lot of money on these displays now, um, I'm sure there's very few of us would find £2,500, a, a small amount of money to spend on a display. And if you go to a dealer who isn't willing to let you spend the time to sit and try the display yourself, I mean, ideally the dealer should let you sit and, and try and do the setup if, if it's not been ISF calibrated. 
uh, do a setup that that's appealing to you. Um, you know that's that's what you're looking for in a good dealer, someone who's understanding of what you're doing. So first of all, you know that's a clear thing that people should be looking for. If the dealer's not willing to do that, well, perhaps time to look for another dealer. Um, the second thing is yes, uh, the the things like the HQV discs can be very very useful for people. I know from experience how difficult it is to teach people how to look for good video processing in particular. Um, and the, the HQV discs give people a very simple and quick way of assessing how good that processing is. You know, they, they tell you in quite some detail before you go out, these are the things to look for. There's a nice uh, piece of paper that comes with it, a score chart. Um, you tick off the boxes and at the end of the day you can see if you've tried two or three different displays, it's not taking you a very long time, um, but you have a clear idea in your mind how good that display has looked to you. Um, and of course that's the ideal guide uh, when you're going to be spending a, a fair amount of money on a new display. And I guess this is really an important point. And before we move on, if anybody is interested in the silicon optics discs and the HQV discs, um, we will be posting something on the forums in the very near future. So if anybody's interested in uh, purchasing these discs, they are $20 and available from www.hqv.com forward slash benchmark. And we also have some discount codes which we can give you, which will give you $5 off whichever disc you want. Um, they do the PAL disc, which has just been introduced um, very recently. They also do a Blu-ray and HD DVD version. So moving on, um, the majority of material that people are going to be watching on the new display, uh, Mark, is going to be standard definition material. There just isn't enough HD material out there at this moment in time to watch everything exclusively in HD. So that's going to put some onus on the scaling of the actual display, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean that's for sure. I mean, there are separate scaling boxes out there. There's DVD players that actually do scale. I mean, going back to what I mentioned earlier on, if someone's actually looking for a display, again, get a piece of material that they know. Or if the dealer's actually got the right accreditations or when... You walk in, you start speaking to, to the relevant guy. They really do seem to know what they're, they're talking about. And they've got the enthusiasm for what they're doing. Then spend the time talking to the guy. And he will actually give you some really good map. He will give you a good roadmap of where to look. And then bring out the disc that you know. So, I mean, I, I think talking to the dealers who actually do know what they're talking about and who can actually assist you in your purchase is majorly important. So if you can actually find someone who plays with the equipment and knows the equipment, they can actually put together a good combination that right at, the, right at that time you just want to be able to buy the equipment, take it home, get it out of the box and have a reasonable experience, then great. But also to have the flexibility of being calibrated properly later on is a much much better option now neil there seems to be a lot of confusion even amongst um some of the dealers that sell this equipment just what is the best way to do the scaling is it done in the player is it done in a standalone processor or should you let the display um do the scaling for you and like i say as the majority of material these days is still sd um what advice would you give it's uh, again quite a difficult question to answer because really the quality of the scaler 
is determined by a large part on the, the, the price of the display and also the volume that the display is sold at. Just as an example, the scalar chip in a Fujitsu costs something like $500, um, which probably goes a long way to explaining why those displays are the price that they are, but also goes a long way to explain why they're commonly accepted to have amongst the best processing of any display. Again, on the other hand, a supermarket special DVD player for £20, uh, if it does upscaling, it does upscaling with a part that costs 10 cents to make and buy. Uh, and there's a fairly good chance that that's not going to be uh, particularly effective at upscaling. Um, I have actually seen uh, a couple of these uh, DVD players where I thought were broken when I saw them, but actually just turned out to be incredibly bad. Um, so it really does come down to, as Mark said, you need to, to build the system carefully and then decide where in the system particular things are going to happen. So one of the things, for example, that we're seeing is a lot of AV receivers now have upscaling built into them. Um, the, the quality of the upscaling that's being built into them is increasing. Um, so now that they are really pretty high quality and typically a lot better quality than a lot of the scaling built into uh, the more mass market LCDs. So people will probably see a benefit to, to using those parts. For a long time, we saw DVD players, receivers and TVs all using fairly similar parts. So it didn't really matter where the scaling was done. But now, again, it pays to have a DVD or something like that. For example, the HQV disc, where you can flick through each of these components and test very simply which picture looks best to you um, and then choose that as you're scaling and away you go. Um, it's almost impossible to say without doing a test which uh, component in the system doing the scaling is going to result in the best end result. Um, you really need, do need to test it all as a system. Now moving on from the scaling issues, the other big issue at this moment in time, especially for flat panel displays and projectors, is the resolution of these models. People look at 720p uh, against 1080p and immediately think that the 1080p model is going to give the better performance. But that's not necessarily the case, is it, Neil? Can you explain a little bit about the fact, is more pixels better? Well, this is one of the things that we see all the time, is more pixels better? The answer is a definite maybe. <laughs> Basically, the, the eye has a certain... Uh, level of detail that it can see. Now, for most displays uh, of a plasma or a flat panel display, um, you're going to have to be sitting pretty close to the display to see the real benefits of 1080 over 720. Now, if you are sitting that close, then yes, you will see a benefit. But in most instances, so I'll give you an example. In my room, I have a 42-inch plasma TV, but I sit about 12 feet away from it. I wouldn't see any benefit in my room uh, of moving up to a 1080 display um, because I wouldn't be able to resolve that extra detail. If I was to move forward 5 feet, then yes, there probably would be some benefit uh, to viewing uh, on a 1080p display. The other thing uh, that you see is uh, people are now obviously wanting to run 1080p uh, wherever possible. Now, 1080p compared with 720 has much, much higher bandwidth requirements. It requires the processing to be more powerful. 
it requires the HDMI cables uh, to, to transfer the signal uh, more accurately or you get uh, picture artifacts and again what you'll sometimes see uh, it was a big problem before is that, that certain sets simply can't handle 1080p signals properly in particular the deinterlacing just falls apart when it comes to 1080p because the, the display doesn't have the, uh, the, the the processing required I should say of course deinterlacing when you're putting a 1080i signal and converting that to 1080p for display um, so Again, people, the main thing they need to look at is how far they are sitting uh, away from the display because that really determines if they're going to see a benefit um, from moving from 720 to 1080 or not. And people, if, if they're interested in the subject, uh, they just need to do a Google search and they'll find several different calculators to help them work out how far away from the display they should sit to get the benefit of 1080 over 720. Now, another thing that's always mentioned is that, well, I've got a 720 set and I have an HD DVD player or a Blu-ray player and I'm inputting that at 1080i or 1080p. How can, how can the set possibly look good at 720 if I'm putting in a, a higher resolution signal? Um, what is the answer to that one? Well, again, this is another interesting one. When you're doing scaling, uh, it's very interesting. When you're scaling up, it's impossible to add extra detail in all you can actually do is lose some detail. Um, so the very best upscalers actually uh, just lose the least amount of detail possible when they're doing the upscaling. When you're downscaling though, so when you're coming from 1080 down to 720, what you're actually doing is you're, you're throwing away some information. Um, on the other hand, what that means is you're keeping as much of the detail as possible uh, within the image. Um, and what that means is, well, it's a lot easier typically to do a downscale uh, than an upscale and get a really satisfactory result. So it's fairly typical um, that 1080 going into 720 still looks pretty impressive. Is it a common myth that people think, well, if I'm going to use 1080p or 1080i, I really should have a 1080 screen? Is, th is that a common misconception? It's a common feeling that people have. Now, I can understand why people would think, well, if I'm going 1080 all the way, I may as well have a 1080 display. But really, it comes down to the seating position. If you're going to sit uh, as far back as most people do from their displays, uh, they're really not going to see a huge difference. Um, and still at the minute, especially in plasma, that will have a big impact on the amount that you're spending on the display. Um, so, so people should be aware of that just because... Uh, the display isn't 1080p probably doesn't mean that they're going to see a worse picture um, from their viewing position um, because uh, things like the colour accuracy, the grayscale, um, all of these things have such a huge impact on the picture that you see and they have absolutely nothing at all to do with uh, the actual resolution within the image. And of course obviously that goes for projection technology as well as uh, the flat panel technology. Moving on Another area which causes a lot of discussion, shall we say, on the forums is the term contrast ratio. And there seems to be an awful lot of misconception, misinformation um, regarding just how important the contrast ratio on any display is. Um, we'll bring Mark in at this point. Mark, what's your thoughts on contrast ratio and is it really that important? As long as it's done correctly, it's important to a certain level, I think. I mean, the amount of steps from absolute white to absolute black yes the more steps 
then ergo better pitcher maybe most of the time sometimes it is again it, it comes into it comes into the relation if the actual set is actually when it, the set's calibrated correctly then i think that's only when you're going to notice if the contrast ratio of that particular set in that particular circumstance is up to the mark um and most of the time in people's own home theatres as long as they've done a, a self-calibration as much as they can i.e. using the relevant test discs that are available and they get a good perceived image then to be honest I, I, I think nowadays it's not as, as important as it used to be when there was the birth of flat panel most of the panels are good nowadays and if you if you walk into a dealer and you can actually feed a signal that you know into a range of range of sets then you'll quite easily see the the set that is better for you so yes i think it is important but in the context of your own system and the way you're actually going to view it now neil do you agree with that it's contrast ratio the number one important thing I mean we see figures bandied about 16,000 to 1, 15,000 to 1 30,000 to 1 um, is, it, is it market and baloney or is contrast ratio really important? Um, again Mark was, was right on the money with his statement there contrast ratio is very important to the picture that we see um, but it's only important on a well set up display where you're not losing any detail Um and when the actual contrast ratio measurement has also been done properly, uh, except on some uh, front projectors, you can completely forget about anything over about 2,000 to 1 as a contrast ratio. It just ain't happening on a flat panel. Um, so people should certainly take those kinds of measurements with a pinch of salt. Um, to be honest with you, a real-world measurement of something like six or 700 to 1 is an extremely good result for a flat panel. Um, and still something for LCDs to strive towards getting contrast ratios um, of that level. Uh, contrast ratio is a good guide for people, though, if they know that it's been done properly, um, because what that really typically implies that the, the black level of the display is, is darker. Um, you can do things to really boost the light output of a display, but it becomes uncomfortable to view. Um, but as it's a ratio, you simply divide the, the light output uh, by the darkest light output to get your ratio. Uh, obviously, a small decrease in the, the low uh, light output will have a very, very big increase in the contrast ratio. So when you see a set with a huge contrast ratio, typically that means that it has an incredibly low black level, and that is definitely a desirable feature for a good picture. Now we also see it mentioned on the forums, mentioned in literature, mentioned in some training courses uh, that the human eye can only see a certain contrast ratio. So um, are we putting too much importance on, on this subject? Well, yes and no. Um, the eye is a very complex uh, device. Um, when we talk about the contrast ratio of the eye, there's an instantaneous contrast ratio uh, with the, the iris and the response time of the iris, but there are also chemical processes that go on within the eye um, so that the eye can have a, an incredible uh, perception of, of detail in very low light situations. 
Now, if you view uh, movies in a darkened room, typically you'll find that uh, extremely bright output from, for example, an LCD with the backlight on full will simply be quite uncomfortable to view um, because the chemical processes that are going on with the eye, the eye wants to uh, wants to, to see the, the darker level details that are going on around. Um, you're actually better to have a lamp on or something like that if that's the situation. Um, but if you have uh, a display where you can adjust the backlight or a plasma display uh, where the, the light output's not so strong or indeed a front projection display uh, where the, the light output is not so strong, you can afford to have very, very subtle shading in the black areas. Now that can really enhance uh, the picture that you see on the screen. Um, and that all comes down to the black level performance. The blacker the display can get, the more the more subtlety you can get uh, in those shadow details. And once you've seen a, a display which has extremely good black level, uh, which has been calibrated properly so you don't have any uh, black crush and you're losing data at the low end, it's something that people will want to see in any display that they purchase. Now, just to wrap up the actual technical aspects of what we're talking about with the display devices, uh, we come on to uh, one subject which seems to confuse people the most, and that is colour reproduction. Uh, when is colour right? And uh, we see advertising slogans. And I think this goes back to uh, what you were talking about earlier on, Neil, um, uh, slogans such as um, colour like no other. <laughs> which seems to be quite an ironic uh, statement coming from the manufacturer that it comes from. Um, how important is colour reproduction uh, in the final image that you see? And, and what can people do to, to check that the colour is correct or as accurate as possible? Um, colour reproduction is something that is very, very important to the, to the image that we see. Um, there have actually been some new studies that have gone on that suggest that, that colour reproduction is even more important than we've previously thought um, and, and how we perceive images. It's very difficult for people who don't have quite such a good idea of what the colours should look like to understand what, you know, what they're looking for on the display. What people should realise though is that all content is created uh, using certain colours of red, green and blue. So on these displays which claim, for example, colour like no other uh, and then show a huge uh, range of colours that they can do, well, they're correct, there is colour like no other because it's completely wrong. <laughs> the picture that you're seeing uh, simply looks disastrous. It looks like a cartoon. Um, the, the up expansion is not done properly. Um, if you had a good mathematical way... Uh, of doing the expansion, which is not that difficult, but it does require some measurement and so on. Um, you can make some use of these expansions, but when you just do a fake expansion, it looks absolutely terrible. So there are certain things that people can look out for. Um, one good place to start looking is simply to watch football or tennis, uh, you know, when you've got a grass pitch in the background. People know what grass looks like. Grass typically doesn't look um, some sort of uh, bluey-green colour. It's sort of a greeny-yellow colour. It's not, you know, insanely oversaturated green that looks completely false. It should look like grass. So that's the first thing that people should always check for. Um, the second thing uh, is people should have a look and see how the reds appear 
try and find you know a, a scene or something like that with a red colour um, and make sure that it's not uh, radioactive popping off the screen that shouldn't uh, it shouldn't dominate a scene in any way. Now again it's useful to have two or three uh, bits of test footage that you're familiar with and um, you know that have been encoded properly so again it comes back to having a little test disc uh, the HQV or even uh, some movie scenes that you're familiar with, how they look um, so that you're able to, to, to really uh, give a subjective judgment on how the colours look on the screen um, they should never be uh, basically leaping off and burning your eyes uh, even in HD uh, colours should look very very natural um, and not completely artificial Now one thing that manufacturers do and it, it, it's it's a well known fact that when you go into a, a showroom of any kind, um, unless that dealer has taken the time to calibrate the sets correctly, uh, they're normally set at, at a default setting. And um, does it pay to take a little bit of time to actually look at the image and study the image before you make any conclusions when it comes to colour, Neil? Again, when I speak to people, people often. I think incorrectly feel that they won't be able to tell when a colour is right or when it's wrong. Um, but it's actually quite easy to tell if a colour just looks right. As I say, you want to look for some material, a football game or something like that. People know what grass looks like. People know what you know one team's strip should look like compared to the other team's. Um, you, you can use these as guidelines to tell you how accurate the colour actually is. Now, if you just spend a few minutes having a look at that, and, and people can actually practice this on their own display before they go out into the shop uh, to look for a new one, you know, sit sit down and actually think to yourself, well, does my picture look the way that it would look in, in real life? And if the answer is no, well, you know, there could be some problems there. So let's wrap this conversation up. Um, I think we've covered some of the major points, uh, certainly some of the major talking points on the forums recently um, within the various sections of display technologies. Um, Mark, if you give someone a piece of advice, uh, a very important piece of advice, when they're going to look uh, for a new display, what would that advice be? Really, actually finding a dealer who you feel comfortable with. People know straight away when they start talking to someone whether they feel comfortable or not. Um, and actually realising that there are good guys out there who spend the time reading, being trained, they actually love the industry that they're in, and they're actually, they actually are there to help you. And if you walk into a place and you want some help and the guy just isn't interested, then just turn around and walk out, because you're not going to have a good end result. Um, I think that's the, the most important thing I could actually sort of, piece of information I could give actually and yeah okay if you walk into a store and their prices are a bit higher than on the web then buy from them those guys are trained they know what they're doing they enjoy what they're doing and that enthusiasm means that they will keep up to date and give you the best possible information that you could have for you to make your decision so yeah just go to guys who know what they're doing whether they've got all the full qualifications or not, if the enthusiasm for their their job and their industry is there, that it's only going to be a help to you. And how important is it for 
that person who's going to look for a new display uh, for their home theatre, how important is it for them to do a little bit of homework before they actually go out? A bit of homework, yes. I mean, get an idea of what you want to accomplish. Um, because it comes back again, what, sometimes what people hear is different to what they interpret. Uh, they might read a piece of information and, and get it a little bit squiffy, but they could go into a really good dealer and say, look, I've, I'm doing a bit of genning up. This is what I believe to be the case. Am I on the right lines? And if the dealer, uh, excuse the pun, has got the balls to actually turn around and say, yep, you're right, or no, you've got it a little bit back to front, it's actually like this, then don't think that the salesman is just trying to con you into doing something that you don't want to do. If he can actually back up his comment um, well and actually say, no, this is actually the way it is, you're sort of half right, but the last bit you got a bit squiffy, then listen to him, because he does this at least five days a week. It's just taking the time, do a little bit of genning up, get a general idea of which direction you want to go to, and then go to a an, an expert or someone who does it for their living. And then they should be able to put you definitely on the right path. And Neil, obviously I'll, I'll put the same question to yourself. What advice... Uh, do you think is the most important when people go looking for display devices? People should do some practice beforehand with their own display and really sit down and have a look at it and understand what it is um, that they're looking for. There has to be a reason that people are changing their display. You don't need to spend too long, but just understand what it is you're looking for. Then use a resource like the AV forums to get some idea of the products that are out there. Um, one of the things with the, the forums as well is that, that people should also not be afraid to make up their own mind about a product. Um, we, we typically tend to find that people have quite strong viewpoints on the forum. But if you see something that you like and it's, it's good in your opinion, you've followed our advice um, by, by looking at the display, maybe use some very simple test patterns to assess it, and also you've taken the advice and hopefully you've gone to uh, a knowledgeable retailer who's given you the assistance and also the demo time that you need, um, then you're probably going to be in a, a pretty good boat of getting a display that you're going to be happy with. And I guess the important thing is here is that really at the end of the day it should be demo, demo, demo. Um, do not buy blind when it comes to display devices. Would that be accurate information? Yeah, for me, um, I would never buy a display device without having had some chance to sit and look at it um, and, and understand the performance limitations uh, of any of the devices. Uh, at the minute, we're still making compromises. We don't have photo real images quite yet. Uh, so you need to understand what the, the compromises of any display are. But um, it doesn't take long to sit and dismiss the ones that you can immediately see you don't like and then spend a bit of time, do some tests, uh, view some movies, things that you're familiar with, and you'll come to the conclusion on your own uh, about which of the products you are happiest with. And I guess the important thing here is to trust yourself, Neil, um, to actually trust that, that you can see these things and to have a little bit of confidence about you when you go to a dealer as well. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is exactly right. You do need to have a bit of confidence about yourself. It's also why I say to people to, to spend, in, uh, instead of, well, dare we say, just watching the telly, before you go, sit down in your own room and and really critically look at some of the aspects. You know, have a look at the colour. Switch the lights off and, and see a black screen. Is it really black or is it grey? And 
you you'll quickly get an idea of what it is that that builds up good performance. And when you go and you have a look at that in a dealer's, uh, you've given yourself some confidence. You've done a bit of research, um, and when you do the demo, trust trust yourself, trust your eyes um, about what you're seeing. Guys, I want to thank you for a very informative uh, chat this evening. Thank you very much for taking the time uh, to join us on the podcast. So thanks to Mark Cheffins. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. And uh, thanks to Neil. Thanks, Paul. And uh, hopefully we will be back again in September for another podcast. And although Neil had most of the airtime this evening because it's his uh, his field, uh, we will be approaching the subject of sound next time around. So please join us for the next AV podcast. That's all we've got time for this month. But if you have any questions, comments or queries, uh, you can send an email to help at avpodcast.co.uk. This is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening and we'll see you again next month. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.